You're listening to another great podcast in the MyMac Podcasting Network. Hi, folks, and welcome to episode 53 of the Let's Talk Apple podcast. I'm your host, Bart Bouchotts, and this is the show for January 2018. I have with me a fabulous panel from uh, both sides of the Atlantic Ocean. So um, let's start close by in the greater Dublin area. I am joined again by Dermot Daly from Tapadu. Hi, Dermot. Hi, Bart. How are you? I am doing just fine. A pleasure to have you back. Thanks. Great to be back. Uh, then crossing over the Atlantic, um, I'm not sure which is closer, but I think Chuck Joyner is physically closer to me. So let's go there. Hi, Chuck. Welcome back. That is Chuck from the Mac Voices, by the way. Thank you, Bart. It's great to be here. And I, I think, yes, I think you've got your geography right. I believe I am physically closer. Excellent. And then all the way from the far coast, the sunny, warm, beautiful coast, we're joined by Linda Goucher. Hi, Linda. Hello, Bart. Good to be with you again. A pleasure to have you as always. Um, I may as well just just in case this all goes horribly wrong, I should tell the listeners that there's some changes afoot on this podcast. I'm changing some technologies. Uh, we're trying Discord for the first time, and hopefully it isn't too discordant because uh, otherwise I guess we're back to Skype next time. Uh, but fingers crossed we get it right. Um, and I may as well also flag that there's going to be a lot more changes on the podcast. So I am going to be changing not this show but next show. I'm going to be changing my editing. Sweet. So we're going to have chapter markers from next month on, which I hope people will find useful. Uh, and also the podcast hosting is going to be changing. So we'll be switching over to Pinecast, which will have a tip jar, which means that there will be another way to support the show should those charming people at Patreon decide to commit suicide again. Um, so, as I say, lots of changes happening. But uh, th- this month, the only change is that we're recording on Discord instead of Skype. So... Touch wood, cross our fingers, and let's get stuck into a month's worth of Apple news. Uh, We'll start where we left off. So, Battery Gate continues to rattle on, or certainly continued to rattle on for much of January. Um, So, what has happened since, in practical terms, is that Apple have said that they are going to add more UI into iOS so that it will tell you how your battery is doing. And it will also allow you, should you be so foolish, to opt out of the protections to stop your phone from randomly shutting down. If you somehow feel that you would rather run very, very quickly and then fall over, then you can run very, very quickly and fall over. Or you can choose to run a bit more slowly and not fall over. Um, But again, you know, power to the people, yada, yada, yada. And then, of course, half the planet is suing Apple. Uh, 23 lawsuits was the last count I saw. It's probably gone up. Some minutes have expired. And then, of course, governments can't help but cash in on an Apple headline to get themselves some PR. So French prosecutor launches probe into Apple. U.S. Senator John Thune, chairman of the Commerce, Science and Transportation Committee. DOJ, SEC in the U.S. are also investigating. Chinese consumer groups are investigating. And a South Korean group have also filed suit. So, any any thoughts from any of the panel on how Batterygate is progressing? I I guess the problem problem here is one of how it was handled in the first place, which was, um, I guess, perceived as a cover-up, right? So uh, I think the reaction's been good. I think the the offer of new batteries and so on 
is a good thing. But where the mistake was made was in saying, oh, yeah, we've had something in place that will um, handle a bad battery. And it can seem like it, you know, to some people um, are viewing it as planned obsolescence. Which is absolutely so, uh, insane to me because it's the exact opposite. My, I was ready to throw my iPhone 6 out the window until Apple started to do this. So they actually, it took me a year longer to upgrade because of this feature. So it's the opposite of planned obsolescence. Perhaps. <laughs> well, no, okay. Definitely, I would not have lasted another year with my phone randomly shutting down. No way. Whereas I happily lasted another year and a half after the fix. Sure, I get you. I get you. But what, what I mean is that the 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 you know the this story was broke by the press, not by Apple. Apple didn't okay, tell, but that's tell the press's fault because Apple actually briefed and they said that they were using power management. So a year ago, and I was listening to podcasts months ago where people were saying, "Oh yeah, I upgraded my battery myself. I used iFixit, and just like Apple said, it sped things up." So this has been known. It just didn't get media coverage until it was a quote unquote scandal. Yeah, I guess it's always how these things pan out, isn't it? I think a lot of people, a lot of customers did not understand that they would eliminate the problems they were having if they simply upgraded their battery. And I think Apple's language, when they did the update that included the words power management, Mm. um, although if you're an engineer, you may very well understand, oh, they're doing something with the battery for the opt for the um, basic cu- customer, you know, your, your usual consumer, they don't know what those words mean and they are highly unlikely to have read the uh, notes on the update anyway. So for those people, just from that perspective, they didn't understand what was happening. They might have noticed that things got better, but if they noticed the slowdown, that's what caused the problem. But did most people notice a slowdown or did they just react to the media telling them they should be angry? I Well, I don't think, as I understand it, and I was not one of those people, but if I, as I understand it, some people noticed the slowdown and that's what caused people to investigate as to what the causes were. But it was only people that were using, uh, let's say, gaming that required a lot of CPU usage or a lot of battery all of a sudden. It's only those people that even noticed it. Or who are running benchmarks, like Geekbench users noticed it. Exactly, exactly. So, I mean, I think, you know, hindsight being 2020, it's Monday morning quarterbacking, as we would say, referring to U.S. football. But hindsight being 2020, it would have been wise to have couched that differently from the get-go. And, I, you know, I don't know what to tell you about that. Somebody in Apple's marketing or somebody in PR should have should have said you know hindsight being 2020 and these things happen this is life is it fair to say that if apple had tried to tell people to buy new batteries the the scandal would then be apple upselling batteries trying to extort money out of users and it would have been a scandal anyway of course yeah it might have been but i think if they gave full information had they had the foresight to do that that there wouldn't be the lawsuits and there wouldn't be the claims of uh, planned obsolescence I yeah, would have, would have been all kind of, that. There would have been all kind of controversy about the fact that the iPhone does not have a removable battery and that you were having to take this into a third party or buy one of the the, the special kits to be able to get into your phone. I, I just I, I, this this whole thing just is is deeply disturbing to me because Bart, Bart you said it in your recap yada da, yada da, yada da. you know it, <laughs> it's just it's it's people trying to make some headlines and, and, and maybe some money 
on the back of Apple when Apple was doing exactly what they should have been to try to continue the, 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 the useful life of these phones. And it worked, right? Because yeah. yes, I still have my iPhone 6. I could not have without this fix. Yeah, I, I agree with you that a lot of people are doing clickbait. A lot of people are trying to make money, the attorneys, et cetera, et cetera. I think they would have had less of an opportunity to do so had Apple handled it a little differently. Oh, I'm with you on that. I'm with you on that. I mean, you know, to go back to, to Chuck's point, you know, the iPhone has always, always been sold as a sealed unit. You know, um, the the idea of replacing your battery was never um, was never really one of those things that users thought they could do. So yeah, okay, the 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 power management took um, a system whose battery cycles were quite high and gave it a bit, you know, a bit more life, albeit at, you know, changing the usability of the device, arguably. Um, And then the response to this is, oh, by the way, you can come get get yourself a a new battery at a cheap price. Um, You know, I I, I think that's, that's, all of those are kind of hard pills to swallow if you don't understand the tech. Um, And like, like Linda says, if you're an engineer, great, you get it. But if you're not, you just feel duped. So it's, yeah, I think, I, I mean, I also think there's a lot of Apple loyalists and a lot of people that are going, oh, Apple should have told me this, they didn't, so what? And, you know, and most people are not paying attention. There's a lot to pay attention to in the world right now. So that's something else to keep in perspective. Well, so far, no one who who's asked me to explain it to them has, got, has turned around and went, oh, that's a scandal. They've gone, oh, that's actually very clever. Yeah, right. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to move us on since technically that's last week's news. Not last week, last month. Um, So getting stuck into the stories for January, um, some notable numbers. So obviously being January, there's a lot of looking back. Um, So data firm Sensor Tower have released their 2017 numbers for um, mobile app stores. And basically, it's been a great year for them all in all. Um, Total revenue they're estimating uh, for all app stores, including in-app purchases. So the whole market, they're saying they're estimating 60 billion US dollars for 2017, which is up 35% from 2016. And of that 60 billion, 44 billion was spent on buying apps with the remainder being in-app purchases. And uh, in terms of um physical you know in terms of raw sales in terms of money apple remains twice as big as google uh but actually uh, as you can see from some other numbers um it's it's a kind of reversed um when you look at it um so app annie has some numbers out as well which are also linked in the show notes and in terms of numbers of apps downloaded google is way bigger than apple in terms of sales Apple is way bigger than Google. So it's kind of interesting that, that more stuff is downloaded on Google, but there's more money made on Apple. Um, and then also Apple released their own numbers. Um, they say that in 2017, developers earned 26 billion US dollars. So that's the 70% share um, that goes to developers, which they say is up 30% from 2016. And the app store sales from New Year's Day were 300 million US dollars. So, uh, Dermot, I think you're in a good business. (laughs) 
I'm not in the business of selling apps. I'm in the business of selling software development services. <laughs> right, but if if you no, know, but so, hang on, but you you write apps, so even though they're yeah, we do, yeah. yeah, yeah. So if apps are making money, then people are going to want apps, right? This is true. This is true. But I, I guess I suppose the, the the business we're in is far more around uh, providing apps for corporates and so on. But um, I guess. Just in terms of the figures you're quoting, uh, it would match everything we see. I mean, we see that when it comes to people doing things like in-app purchases, we always find that iOS outstrips Android by a long shot. Hmm. And of course, when you look at downloads, I don't think there's any surprises there. There's way more Android devices in the world now than there are iOS devices. You'd expect them to have higher downloads. Yeah. And does that mean then that if you have an app that's a freemium of some sort, that the the Android users on average are more likely to keep with the ads and the iOS users are more likely on average to pay for the upgrade to strip the ads, that kind of thing? Uh, That is the trend we've continued to see, absolutely, yeah. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, I guess there's – and I think it's to to some extent – it's it's always wrong to generalize, but – the expectation appears to be among Android users is to get stuff for free. And the expectation among iOS users is happy to pay for something of quality. Um, don't get me wrong. There's there's obviously people who pay in both camps and there's obviously people who never pay in both camps. Yeah. Um, but, but certainly when we see anything with transactions in them even – uh, never mind in-app purchases, but even if they're affecting transactions, uh, they still always skew towards um, iOS to being where the money is being spent. Does that have anything to do, you think, with the the selling price? Because that may or may not be down here in the show notes. I've, I've lost track of, of what all's here, but this this constant harping that Apple needs to or should introduce a lower-cost phone and and so are, are the Android people, and then I no no aspersions intended here at all. But are the are the Android people just don't have the money to spend or don't want to spend the money, and the the Apple people recognize, as you said, quality. I I think if you if you think about it, you can buy um, an Android smartphone at the kind of ninety nine dollar end of the market, um, which you know which is a perfectly usable, perfectly capable smartphone. And I think uh, particularly when, when people are cost-conscious around things like buying for their family or buying for their children and so on, um, you know, you're far more likely to spend $99 on a phone that your kid's likely to break than whatever an iPhone retails at. I know that uh, the SE retails around €440 Euros here. It's probably around $400 in the U.S., um, uh, I don't think Apple should go should should go lower. They never do. It's not it's not where they aim, um, and I think they're probably happy to leave that end of the market for Android because uh, there'll be diminishing returns. The lower you go, the yeah, absolutely less uh, people are going to spend money. When um, we get to the earnings calls, we'll see that Apple is is not is not so struggling in that regard. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Chuck, I would just add that I think the demographics that I've always seen bear out what you're saying, that in general, I mean, if you if you go to the countries where they're just developing economies or, just, you know, emerging markets, as they call them, 
those countries where people just don't have the money to buy iPhones, that's where Android will have like 98% of the market. And then as the countries uh, emerge, so to speak, um, the increase in sales in iPhones begins. So, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And I think that's true economically in parts of you know developed countries as well. Now, the, the, other thing, the other thing to bear in mind, of course, is that you can get an Android phone at the iPhone 10 end of the market. I mean, the the high-end Samsungs and the, the, the Note devices and so on do cost similar levels um, and, and, and are every bit the same spec and so on. Uh, it's just that Android ca- caters for all of the markets, if you know what I mean. It yeah. caters for everything from the $100 phone to the $1,000 phone. And, of course, we should say that in many countries where you're allowed to have subsidized pricing, you can get um, an iPhone SE free on contract. Yeah, that's Apple Apple beginning to spread that out while still holding on to really t- uh, high-quality standards. Yeah. Anyway, I'm going to move us along. Um, I just want to highlight, or I don't really want to, I don't think it's, it's worth us dwelling into too deeply, but every year Six Colors do a, a scorecard on how they think Apple performed over the year and I think it's always well written and it's always sort of an interesting retrospective back so I, I, it's sort of more for the listeners benefit really I just want to draw attention to that link in the show notes so it's it's Apple's annual report card for, 27, for 2017 which is linked in the show notes um, I guess at a very high level basically what they're saying is they're giving they're giving the Mac a C they're giving the iPhone an A they're giving the iPad an A minus they're giving the Apple Watch an A minus they're giving the Apple TV a C plus which is quite generous they're giving the iCloud services a B minus which is quite generous um HomeKit a C minus I'd count that as generous too um and hardware reliability an A minus so software quality a C minus yeah. Anyway, so that's it's interesting, and all of those grades are justified. So they um, they explain their reasonings, and they also graph how Apple did. So they've been grading Apple on the same marking scheme for quite some time. So they also have at the top of the scorecard, you can see how they're doing relative. So while the Mac isn't doing great, it's actually up since last year. For a software quality is down dramatically since last year. So it's, it, as I say, it's an interesting read. Um, it, I'm more in mentioning it as something you might be interested in rather than something we need to necessarily talk about because we have so much news this month. Hey Bart, yeah. if I may, I just want to point out the link that you um, also also have for mm-hmm. context: the iOS economy from a Simco. That's also an excellent read for people who have interest in you know the the interest in the economics of the iOS economy. Yes, so actually we, I should also say all of these links will be at lets-talk.ie on the show notes for this episode, which is episode 53. Um, so under notable numbers for context, the iOS ecosystem from asimco.com. Uh, and there's another Asimco link actually later on when we get to the earnings call, because again, Asimco do really cool, really informative information. Uh, always, always a big fan. Uh, the latest global shipments estimate from Strategy Analytics uh, says that basically the smartphone market as a whole is dropping 9% in Q4 2017, uh, but Apple's numbers have remained flat. So the market as a whole has gone down about 10%, and Apple's numbers have remained flat, which has had the effect of bumping Apple above Samsung, not because Apple went up, but because Samsung went down. Um I'm not really sure how much there is to say about that. That sounds awfully like the PC market and the Mac to me. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. yeah. 
So, legal latest, just one story here to mention. Uh, the European Commission are quite cranky with Qualcomm. They have fined them €997 million, Euro, which is about one and a quarter million US dollars. That's an interesting typo in the show notes. Um, I put in billion in the show notes. The euro is, is more valuable than the dollar, but not that much more. Um, and the reason they have fined Qualcomm is for antitrust violations, because Qualcomm paid Apple not to use its competitors, and they did so from 2011 to 2016. Uh, Qualcomm say that's perfectly fine. The European Commission say, no, it isn't. Um, so I imagine there will be an appeal, but as things stand, Qualcomm have almost a almost, almost a billion euro fine from the European Commission. Notable staffing changes then. Uh, TechCrunch did some detective work on good old LinkedIn and they deduced the fact that Apple have basically stolen half the employees uh, from a Silicon Valley data analytics startup um, called uh, Silicon Valley Data Science. Um, So it would appear they want some people who can crunch numbers. Um, And they have also hired Kashif Safar away from Amazon where he was the senior VP for Audible. And uh, probably not unrelated, uh, news has, reports are leaking. So they're not, Apple didn't say anything, but, you know, someone close to the matter has said, you know, the usual. So reportedly, Apple is working on a big change to their ebook offering. And one of the things that's going to happen is that iBooks, the app, is going to go away and be replaced by a new and better app simply called Books. So if they're hiring a new, a new, a, 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 someone who used to head up Audible and they're apparently working on a whole new ebook app, I guess that means they're going to put some energy into ebooks again, which is probably no bad thing in my opinion. Any thoughts? You got you got to wonder there because there's been some. Uh, I think we we read uh, some notable hires or a, a takeover last month of a company who have improved speech synthesis and have uh, expressions in their speech synthesis algorithms. This Ooh. does this ring a bell about a year about a month back, and you got to wonder if. Um, you know, are we going to get into a situation where you download a book and you you have a choice of it on, in audio or in textual format? Um, I think I, I think the iBooks app is absolutely uh, ripe for a change. It's very very basic. It it could do with a lick of paint at very least. I thought you were going to say it's absolute garbage, but you were much more diplomatic. I'll just say it's absolute garbage. <laughs> I want to. I'm I'm with Dermot though, but I I think that my perception is that audiobooks are becoming more and more popular. Not that ebooks are becoming less popular, but audiobooks are becoming more and more popular. That's why when I saw this as VP of Audible, it it really caught my attention. And Apple have moved audiobooks out of the music app and into the iBooks app, which is probably sensible. Um. And you could, I guess you could imagine a situation where you buy an ebook and you have the choice to click a button and have it read to you in an emotive voice. And then maybe you can pause it and take over again reading manually when you're in a different situation. And then, you know, when you're doing the dishes, you might click it back the other way. So, I mean, you know, I know Amazon have something similar with WhisperSync where they synchronize the audiobooks with the, the you know, their Kindle app. So, I mean, it could be interesting, you know, as you were saying, Dermot, if that takeover is for that reason. Yeah, I know. sorry. Go ahead, Linda. No, I, I was just going to ask. So on the on the Kindle on Amazon, because I use Apple's ecosystem. I don't use the Kindle uh, stuff at all, although mm. I have the app. 
So you can go back and forth between audio and written. I believe so. I don't use it, but I believe they have a feature called Whisper Sync, which synchronizes because Amazon own Audible and Kindle. And I yeah, believe the feature, the, I believe the thing Whisper Sync does is it keeps, it knows that the book is the book and it knows where they relate to each other. So you can pick up where you left off in one format or the other using this Whisper Sync technology. Oh, all right. I thought that was just a matter of syncing between, you know, say your iPod and your iPhone or, you know, something between devices. But okay, that's a great idea. I didn't know that existed anywhere. And if Apple picks that up, I will be one happy customer. I will say that. Yeah. Bingo. And it would be nice to just be able to buy the book and just have rights to the book in every format. That that's kinda of yes. what I'd love. Yep. I agree. I think one of the one of the more difficult aspects of Audible's business is uh building up a production network. Um, because you know you you literally have to get every book that's published and get them read and recorded. Now, if that could be done in some sort of automated fashion, if it can be done, I don't know whether mm. it can be or not. Uh, you'd save a hell of a lot on the production costs. I know that they were literally farming that out to anybody with a studio. They were they were approaching them and saying, "Will you record some books for us?" Um, you know, literally kind of outsourcing to voiceover studios and so on because I'm aware of a voiceover studio in, in Dublin who was um, who was approached by them. Uh, they were they were paying buttons. They really weren't paying the kind of money needed to actually um, do a good job on it. Uh, so I'm not a big fan of audiobooks, but I'm, I'm under the impression that when you get away from the Harry Potters of this world, uh, you get some pretty dismal... Um, it's variable. It's variable. <laughs> yeah, because variable. Some, some of them, like a well-made audiobook, is a work of art. But there's some awful dross out there as well. You know, it really I, does on, cover the gamut. On Audible, every and I do listen to them pretty frequently. On Audible, every one I have gotten has been of excellent quality. I have to give them. I mean, maybe it's the books. On maybe I'm just choosing more popular books. But no. every single one has been really excellent quality. No, I, Some I, read I, by the authors. Linda, I agree with you completely. I mean, that's that's sort of been the hallmark of Audible. Uh, some of the some of the off brands that you go and and purchase are a little shaky, but the Audible ones are always always terrific. I particularly like when the author author reads them because then you know all the silly pronunciations of the weirdo places. Because I tend to listen to you know fantasy and sci fi and stuff, and it's nice to have the author pronounce it. Because then you can get you know if someone gets into an argument with you, you can say, "Well, I know how it's pronounced because I had Philip Glass or yeah, Philip Glass read it to me." So anyway, uh, Philip, why do I think I'm wrong? Well, Philip Glass is a musician, isn't he? I'm mixing up my who did the who did the um, Amber Spyglass and all of those. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Uh, there's lots of people shouting into their iPhones now. Um, but anyway, let's let's move into the main stories for the month. Um, oh, before, before you do, can I just make – I want to underline again the article from TechCrunch about mm-hmm. the Silicon Valley data science. That sounds fairly obscure, but it also sounds mysterious and interesting. It looks like development in the enterprise area. And that um, – from a uh, – business standpoint that sounds like it could be a really interesting opportunity for apple it sounds like they're up to something interesting and i just want to mention that cool noted flag placed we shall see what happens okay okay so we have five main stories to get through so i definitely don't want to be too slow about them this time um the first thing is a little bit later than promised uh the home pod has been announced um 
pre-orders started on January 26th, so that is now in the past, and the devices will be available from February the 9th, which, as we record this, is still in the future. So we're sort of in the limbo period now. Um, Some reviewers have got their hands on the devices, uh, but no customers have yet. Um, Apple have said that it is shipping with some of the promised features missing, but they're purely software features, and they will be rolling those features out later this year. And mainly this revolves around AirPlay 2. So it would appear that AirPlay 2 isn't quite ready for the big league. So the the cool stuff that's missing really is where you take multiple home pods and connect them together to to create a sort of a single super device. And that bit isn't there yet. But again, that will be a software update whenever it's ready. Um, Speaking of software updates, the HomePod will be managed through Apple's Home app. So they are treating the HomePod as a home automation system, which is slightly interesting. Um, There's, If you're wondering, okay, so there's features missing, what's there, what's not there, there's a link in the show notes to a good article from iMore with the very useful title, What Can't the HomePod Do at Launch? Uh, Also, How HomePod Works with Siri from iMore. And um, there was a lot of confusion over what audio sources could and couldn't go to the HomePod. Apple released a statement clarifying that. So there's a link in the show notes to a Mac Observer article that lays out basically what it is the HomePod ca- can do. So how, how do you make noise come to it? And the answer is it can reach stuff from Apple Music, from iTunes Maths, from Beats Radio, podcasts, and it does AirPlay. So not AirPlay 2, but it does AirPlay. So basically any any Apple device, be it your Mac, be it your iPhone, your iPad, you can just throw audio at the uh, HomePod like you would to your Apple TV at the moment. So I, I, I've lots of thoughts on the HomePod. Um, Go on. Uh, well, first of all, I think it's I think it's marketed in a very interesting way. Uh, I think um, it is Apple's Amazon Echo. Um, I don't think there's any doubt about that. But they are definitely pushing it as a, a sound device primarily, as in a, an audio speaker primarily. Uh, they're aiming it at the audio files to some extent. Uh, I think that's smart, and I and I think the reason for doing that is with a home speaker, the killer app is music. Um, and I found this. I got a Google Home, and what I found was, within ten minutes of having the Google Home up and running, I bought a, a Google Play Music subscription because I realised that was one of the most compelling features of it. I think what Apple have done, they've just really um, turned it on its head and said, okay, we're releasing this amazing uh, audio speaker, and by the way, it does Siri too. That That's kind of the way they're doing it. Um, you know, for years, people have been saying, how are Apple going to get into home automation? Should the Apple TV be the, be the hub? Um, I think the HomePod will be the hub at some point. Um, you know, I, I just I just think it's it's interesting how they are selling it uh and also i'm a little disappointed airplay 2 isn't there because i have a couple of airplay speakers in our office and they drop constantly they're not that good uh, they they were they were very good in an older office when we were in a smaller area and a small and, and less networking devices around but now that there's a bit of interference they they can disappointingly drop out quite easily and airplay 2 apparently solves all that by effectively having a far bigger buffer so that it can buffer say 30 40 seconds mm. and should the network drop it gives it plenty of time to fix it and resync without the user noticing it um i think airplay 2 is uh, going to be absolutely key to um the home pod being a great product 
Well, the, the thing that strikes me is if, if, if Apple were to have made this Siri in a tube, then they would have had to aim for a spectacularly lower price point because paying $350 for Siri in a tube is never going to fly. But if you sure. aim it at audio files, paying $350 for what is apparently, by all accounts, a genuinely high-quality speaker, that's normal. That's almost on the low end of normal because if you start giving comp- you know money to companies like Bose and um, all these famous ones whose names I don't know because I don't spend that kind of money on audio equipment, those things get way more expensive, way more. They really do. I mean, it, when, when it comes to hi-fi, high-end speakers, uh, typically go into four figures, you know, very typically, right? So um, we got to hear this before we know that's that good. But um, well, the people Apple have given it to. Yeah, so the people Apple have got to review it are people who are into sound, into audio, and they're giving it positive reviews. Sure, sure. Oh, I, I think Apple have got good pedigree in producing quality sound i mean even when the imac was released way back when mm. you know i remember the first time somebody saying and wait you hear the sound on it and it was just streets better than any pc on the market or any pc speakers that were on the market and they were built into the to the imac so yes i trust their pedigree here i do expect it to be good um i do expect it to be an impressive device i think it's interesting. It's a bit late, um, you know. So w- there's a bit of a remain. You know, let's wait and see. Because of course, the Apple blogs are going to speak well of it. They all do. Uh, I'd like to see how what, what uh, someone like what HiFi think of it when it actually does when it actually does come out. Yeah, definitely. Um, and it's interesting that so you, to me, Sonos have more to worry about here than Alexa. Um, oh. And it's interesting that Sonos responded by dropping the price on their units back to their lowest price yet. I think there's a point that's being missed here. Okay. I think that we're all looking at this as a Siri device because it it was announced more or less like that. And, and at the risk of cheating a little bit and going down further in the show notes, Apple all of a sudden has a whole lot of Apple Music subscribers. Now they're touting that they could overtake Spotify in paid subscribers. There is no other decent quality speaker that supports voice commands uh, with with Apple Music right now. I've been really disappointed in Sonos. I mean, the, Sonos keeps saying it's coming, it's coming. Well, it's not here. Um, and the same thing with Amazon Alexa. Yeah, you can you, you may be able to jump through some hoops to get it to work, but this is going to be a native implementation. And so if, if, I'm, if I'm a little more than a casual music listener and Apple provides me with a fantastic sounding speaker that I can just say, hey, you know who, play Whatever. this artist or play this song and, and I'm trying not to trigger anybody's devices. Um, you know, that, that to me, I mean, this could be a, 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 I'm not sure if Apple Music is the gateway drug to the HomePod or the HomePod is the gateway <laughs> drug to Apple Music. But I, that, that's, I, I don't hear anybody talking about this in, in relation to Apple Music, and I think that's a, that's a key point that is being missed here. I, Chuck, you know, I, I totally agree with that. Like I say, when, when I plugged in the Google Home for the first time, 
it literally took me about 10 minutes before I went and bought a Google Play subscription because it is the killer feature for it, right? So, yeah, it's great telling it to time an egg for you or call out a recipe or whatever. I mean, to some extent, there's a bit of a, there's a, bit of a, a novelty factor to that. But when you, you know, when you shout across the room, play me the latest U2 single or whatever it happens to be, uh, that is really kind of useful. So I, I think you're right. I mean, it, it, to some extent, it's a little chicken and egg, though. Um, you know, Google Home was launched as a home assistant. And if you don't have a Google Play subscription, you'll probably buy one. Um, I think the typical purchaser of a HomePod is already going to be a Apple Music subscriber. Um Certainly for now, right? Like, I, I think so. I think I think uh, initially. I mean, the other the other area that they'll mop up a little bit is, you know, Mac families who just happen to not have a music subscription yet. Okay, so you know, if if you if you bought it to join the rest of your, you know, your iPhone Mac setup at home, um, I'd be very surprised if you don't have a music subscription if you already have that kind of equipment. But it, it will probably tip those users over the edge. But I'm not convinced there's going to be people out there who are saying, I think I'll buy this for my music and now buy an Apple subscription. Not initially. I think it will happen, but I don't think it's going to do so initially. I think it's going to be interesting. It's going to depend a lot on the quality of the of the HomePod because there are people out there right now that, that are using the voice commands. Well, not the, not the Google, but I guess um, – I, I believe you can control Spotify with Alexa. If I'm you, not. you definitely, definitely can, because um, a colleague of mine recently brought, a, you know, an Amazon lady in a tube into the house, and he said that, li- like you, Dermot, w- within a day or two, it was a no-brainer to get a music subscription. Yeah, uh, and Google Home supports Spotify as well. Incidentally, um, okay. Apple, Apple obviously won't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, but you know, I, I, I can't believe. I guess when when the when when Alexa first came out, I was shocked. The Amazon Echo. Sorry, mm-hmm. folks. I keep doing that. Um, no, sorry, I, it's, I was it's shocked. Google, it's, it's Amazon's fault for picking a stupid trigger word. Everyone else has some sort of greeting followed by name of product. Amazon were <laughs> wrong to say if you say Alexa, everyone's Alexa beeps. Your own fault for buying a bloody Alexa. Yeah. Well, <laughs> sorry, I, I have right. no. I am not rechanging my mode of speech because Amazon have useless engineers. <laughs> okay, that's an interesting point, Bart. No, I, I was shocked though that, that that Amazon did not figure out that okay, this is the, the dot is fine for what it is, but they gave you a, a, a mediocre speaker at best. If if you are into music, those speakers are mediocre, even on the Amazon. Uh, the 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 Echo Two, but their job, Chuck, is to make you buy stuff on Amazon. Oh, like, absolutely! I mean, so but, but, Amazon made those dirt cheap for a reason, and Apple is not making them dirt cheap because that's not Apple's reason. I mean, the, yes, they compete, but no, they don't compete. Like they're and, they're and just, I, they're touching the same market, but they're so different. And I and I agree with you. And I can't believe that that Amazon didn't figure this out. I can't believe that Sonos didn't take advantage of the delay in the HomePod mm. to get get Siri uh, and Apple Music Control implemented. And and then I don't think we'd be talking about the HomePod nearly as much as we are. But as it is, the HomePod. Yes, I know we can argue over the price, but the HomePod is basically entering a market that has no competitors. If you are into music, and yes, you have to subscribe to Apple Music, no question about that. But, but you don't, ne- Chuck, because it does AirPlay, so you can use whatever you like. 
Yeah, but that 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 loses the the ease of the control. Like Dermot said, walking in and saying, "Hey, play me the latest U two single." But you could do that on your iPhone. Yeah, right? you, you, you can tell your, your phone iPhone. and have it cast. Yeah, yeah, you've got Apple Music. So, yeah, but yeah. but you still you are you are. Listen, there are a lot of things you can do. I mean, there are a lot of yeah. ways to jump through it. But Apple is really good at making things seamless, and I think that's. I, I'm hoping. I'm hoping. I'm doing what I what I dislike about so many pundits and and projecting. <laughs> but you know, I if if this works half as half as well as Siri does, at least for me, mm. and it has the quality that everybody is touting, this is going to be the 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 ideal home music system for someone who is not an absolute audiophile well one thing i will say to you chuck is that um siri is very good with north american accents <laughs> but it ain't so great <laughs> with irish ones and um its recognition is okay but here's the thing um the ancillary services that siri provides um are, are pretty good in the u.s and they're almost um non-existent over here i can't get local sports scores and so on um and i think that does um uh, reduce its utility somewhat in europe uh, but what i'm hoping is this will just um you know make apple up their game on siri on an international scale i just just want to add one quick comment um i will support your thesis about uh, people with Apple Music buying this speaker because we will definitely be buying at least one. That's the the only comment I have. Cool. Okay, I'm going to jump us on. The next area I'm just going to fly through quickly. Um, I I think given how much talk we've had about Apple and taxes, I I don't think we can skip this story, even though there's a lot of other news to talk about. Um, Apple have said they are going to pay 38 billion US dollars in taxes to repatriate a vast wudge of their overseas money, uh, which is in large part due to the fact that there is no longer this, you know, anticipation of there will be a major tax tax change in the US. That tax law has now passed. Therefore, what it is now is what it's likely to be for quite a few years. And that means that companies like Apple now know the lay of the land and can make decisions appropriately and they've decided to to bring home a large chunk of money. So some of that money is going to um, giving out uh, restricted stock options to staff um, and also they're going to double their charitable contribution. So if you contribute to charity, Apple currently match your contribution and now they're going to double your contribution, which is interesting, up to a certain point, obviously. Um Again, there's an Asimpco uh, link here linked in the show notes at lessustalk.ie where they sort of lay out where Apple's cash comes from. It's kind of interesting to see the structure of it. it, That that also gives wonderful context. Again, I want to give kudos and recommend that article to people who have the interest. Yeah. Asimpco do great stuff. And I I don't think it's unrelated. Apple didn't announce this as being a part of their repatriation of the of money, but it is I, I think it's related. So Apple have promised to invest three hundred and fifty billion dollars into the US economy over the next five years, basically in terms of expanding their operations. So there's talk of um another new campus being built, so a second spaceship, I guess. Um, they have also ex- expanded their advanced manufacturing fund. That was a billion-dollar fund. That is now a $5 billion fund. 
Um, and I also want to call out to Jean-Louis Gasset, um, who writes a, a blog called The Monday Note every Monday, unsurprisingly. And he covered how international tax loopholes work. This whole, you know, a, a, a double Dutch with an Irish on the side or whatever these things are called. Um, there's lots of graphs with lots of different flags on it. And I do unfortunately see the Irish flag quite a bit. Um so if you're interested in sort of the mechanics of all of this, then I definitely want to recommend Jean-Louis Gasset's article as well. Um, anyone else want to chime in with anything about this? No. The charity donation is um, for employees, though, right? I mean, that's yes. not they're not matching everybody in the universe. No, no, sorry. Right? Yes, I, yes. So if an Apple employee, at the moment, if an Apple employee donates to charity, Apple will match that donation. And they're going to go from matching it to doubling it. So let's say you work at Apple and you give $5,000 to the Red Cross. Apple will say, I see your 5000 and raise you another 5000 So the Red Cross get 15000 which is kind of impressive, actually. Yeah, it really is. Okay, so the biggest story, I think, really, I've sort of, I've, I've hit the elephant in the middle of the room somewhat. So 2018 quarter one results because Apple can't use a calendar properly. Um <laughs> So the 2018 quarter starts in autumn 2017, or fall 2017, in Apple Universe. Um, as per usual, links in the show notes to the transcripts of everything Tim Cook said. Uh, basically, it's all... It's, it, actually, we should go through the numbers, actually. Um, so the first link in the show notes is to Apple's press release, which is always a good place to start because it links you to the data summary PDF, which is always the fun one, in my opinion. Um so if we break it down by uh, by product, what we see basically is that Apple sold 77 million iPhones. They sold 13 million iPads. They sold 5 million Macs. And in terms of money, they made 62 billion in revenue from the iPhone. Is that? No, six, 62. Hang on. What's the units on revenue? Help me, Linda. It's billion. I'm, I'm the revenue around. are in millions. Yeah, so the units oh, are in thousands and the revenues right, are right, in millions. Right. So 61,000 million is 61 billion. So right. it is $61 billion. Yes. Jesus, that's a big number. I think, nine, yes, yes, it is because your total is 88 and it was 88 yeah. billion. So yes. Wow. Okay, so yeah. $61.5 billion in revenue from the iPhone $5.8 billion from the iPad, you know, that terrible doomed iPad. Um, the Mac accounts for almost $7 billion. Services, $8.47 billion. Other products, $5.4, actually nearly $5.5 billion, giving a grand total of $88 billion. And sort of what's interesting to me usually is the year-over-year change. So in terms of units, the iPhone and the iPad are pretty much flat at minus 1%, plus 1%. That's effectively flat, right? That's within the margin of error in my book. Um, but revenue for both of those is up. So 13% up for the iPhone, which I think implies the iPhone ten is doing well. And for the iPad, revenue is up 6%, which I think implies the iPad Pro must be doing well. Uh, the Mac, on the other hand, is down 5% in units and down 5% in revenue. Services are up 18%, and that other category are up a whopping 36% year over year, which is, uh, to me, that says that either the AirPods and or the Apple Watch are doing extremely well. 
Yeah, the Apple Watch is doing well. I read an article today saying that the um, Apple sales in the last quarter outstripped the Swiss watch industry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they were so well, sure they weren't going to be the next music industry. so one thing I want to draw attention to actually sorry before I'm going to jump in ahead of you there Chuck and I'll come back to you in a moment but I have been on the whole you know the iPad isn't doomed and at some stage this drop is going to vanish well the drop has vanished right uh, yep. Revenue up, units flat. So the, the the apparently never-ending decline in iPad sales is over. So we we can all stop pointing about that. Now, Chuck, you you were going to jump in there. Well, you you stole a little bit of the oh. thunder there, Bart. The the you know the the simple fact that the bottom line on this is Apple is clearly doomed. Yes, absolutely. I don't know why. Uh, we'll bottom, find an yeah. excuse, but the headline has to be Apple is doomed, and then we'll find the yeah. excuse later. I mean, it's it's it is. You look at those numbers; they're kind of amazing. You, you, th- these are clearly popular devices. They're cl- they are clearly perceived as as quality devices. They're, they are devices that people want, and not just in the U.S. or in Europe, but across the globe. And yet, somehow, <laughs> they will find a way. Somebody will find a way to say, "Oh, Apple is Apple is on on the downside." It's amazing. It, it staggers awesome. me that you can sell seventy seven million units in a quarter of anything yeah yeah that's some that's some uh, logistics job right there isn't it i mean that is amazing I, you couldn't sell that many twinkies let alone complex <laughs> technological products just for um uh, i mean we just for a little context, a little hmm. background context, I did a bit of checking on one of my sites, and uh, that it follows 30 analysts who cover Apple. Mm-hmm. 28 of those analysts are maintaining their buy on Apple. So 28 so only, out of 30, did you say? Right. Thir- wow. 30 are still main- or tw- I'm sorry, 28 are still maintaining their buy. And the two that changed their, um, their, uh, right. their status, uh, their rating, went from buy to hold. So nobody went to sell. So although you may hear a lot of gloom from someplace, Mm. um, it's not from the people who know what they're talking about. That said, the market as a whole has been significantly down both Friday and today. Apple is not the cause of that, despite what you might read on some of the Apple blogs. It has to do with overall market. Well, there's a lot of people that go, oh, the market went down. It must be Apple's fault. And, I know um, Apple are a big company, but that's ridiculous. I, I know it just happens a lot, and I think I think there are some some who follow Apple are a little bit myopic, and they say think when Apple goes down that it must be because people have a bad view of Apple. When and it couldn't possibly that Apple matters. went down because the market went down. It has to be that the market went down because Apple yeah. went down. That's astonishing. Yeah, there there are well, there's a number of people who do that. I mean, that's I hear that more frequently than you would than you would think. Um, but in any case, uh, there are some concerns at, in the market as a whole right now that have to do with interest rates and inflation rates and uh, other things we don't want to get into that aren't, you know, aren't pertinent to Apple per se. So the mm. market as a whole is down. And that, of course, takes Apple down as well. Although yeah. Apple did not go down as much percentage wise as the, as the market as a whole did, which tells me that the stock is considered, you know, quite good. Yeah, because I guess the way you should judge how the stock market reacts isn't whether the shares go up and down. It's whether the shares go up and down when compared to the average movement for the day. Exactly. And and the best uh, tool for that is the S&P 500, not the Dow Jones Industrial Average. 
Oh, there's an entire Planet Money episode on why the Dow Jones is the stupidest thing yes. ever. Yes. <laughs> yes, it's only 30 stocks. It's only 30 stocks, and yet it always gets the headlines, and people who don't follow this stuff get misled. Well, I listened to that episode of Planet Money, and I, my jaw hit the floor as to how mathematically stupid the Dow is. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Makes no sense. Like, I, I mean, I, I'm a physicist, not, not, not a money person, but I know how maths works, and what they're doing is wrong. And they're yeah, doing it for just, for historical reasons rather than for logic reasons. Exactly. History. History. Yeah. What this data set goes back for ages, so it's consistent. Yeah, consistently useless. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> but, you, I mean, if you're looking at the market as a whole, there's a lot of psychology that mm. goes into it. And so it has that psychological impact. But if you're looking, if you, wanted, if you want to compare how Apple's doing as opposed to the broader market, the S&P is what you want to look at. S&P 500. One thing that always strikes me about um, market prices anyway is they tend to be driven by sentiment and the numbers don't always drive the sentiment. Um, You know, you could have lots and lots of um, real accounting indicators suggesting everything is good and some influential people might pull their money or some large, um, you know, large investment fund might choose to move their money and that just moves sentiment and then, uh, prices change the result you know to to me stock prices are a wild west no matter what way you look at them yeah. they are yeah absolutely they are i mean this and you're absolutely correct it, it has to do it's it's a huge complex system and it gets impacted and buffeted here and there however over the long term what you want to look at look at is your long-term trends and those will even out because it's a system again that makes any sense. Yeah, so imagine a, a slightly biased random walk. If you look at it in the if you zoom in it seems completely random, but if you zoom out there is there is a big picture trend. Right. Right. You know, I had um when I was involved in UL, which I don't do anymore, but when I was involved in UL, uh, one year we had um Horace used to come every year, Horace from who does Asimco. Mm. Um Horace and did he, you? he gave a keynote speech. Yeah, he's he, if you ever get the chance to see him live, just you absolutely have to go. He's one of those fascinating people. He can make, he really makes numbers interesting. But he he did a presentation about Apple being doomed. <laughs> and what he did is he, he compared them with um the next five biggest competitors, which were Google and Microsoft and so on. Um, and what he did is he took every real accounting number you could take, you can look at, mm. and he explained Apple's relative to all of them. And by and large, each and every case, they were like better than all of them combined. And he has a great way of showing the showing the numbers in uh, on their own, and then zooming out and changing his axis so that it now includes Apple's numbers. And it's just a stunning way to look at it. But he did it by he did it by revenue. He did it by units sold. But he did it to things like PE ratio, all of the various accounting um, you know metrics that people use when when deciding um, share prices. Mm-hmm. And he just showed that you know no, it was a couple of years ago. But I'm sure if he did it today, it'd be very very similar. Um, he just gave this amazing talk on why he'd continue to invest. Basically, you know. Yeah. I'll, I'll second that. I've also seen him live, and he's he's a fascinating guy. Just to second that. Okay. Yeah. We, At we, this we, point, we, we, I'm sorry, sorry, God. 
you know, at this point, I think it's important to say that we are not licensed investment counselors. And <laughs> yes. you, you should take this as, as purely our opinions and don't base your financial uh, decisions on these comments. You, you are getting precisely as much, uh, as high a quality of financial advice as you're paying us for. You're paying us nothing. This is worthless. Yeah, except perhaps for those that uh, contribute to you on Patreon. and, and That's the true. <laughs> but that's not payment for services, just to be clear. That's not how that works. Um, as, as well as the actual numbers that Apple releases, there is obviously also the call. And during the call, you get words spoken by the Apple people. So some of those are kind of important to mention too. So although Apple did what Kenray would call fun with numbers without numbers, we do know that... Um, let me get the wording here. Um, so the iPhone 10 is has there has been the top selling model for every week since it shipped. So since the iPhone 10 has been on sale, they have sold more iPhone 10s than iPhone 8s or iPhone SEs or iPhone 7s. I guess is the model still on sale. So I. I think that means that all of this hubbub about, oh, the iPhone 10 is a failure, the iPhone 10 isn't selling because the screen is too small, the iPhone 10 is doomed because they're not keeping it on for next year. It's all horse poop, as I thought it was. The thing is selling like hotcakes. Yeah, yeah and you've got to assume that's the higher margin device, right? Because if you look at those figures, right, the, that gives you the, this... units, the units are slightly down, but the revenue's way up, right? So you, you probably find that the 10 and the 8 Plus... Mm. being more expensive, probably have more margin in them as well, is what I would suspect. I think that's sensible. Um, And also they said that they have reached a significant milestone. The active install base of of Apple devices, which is iOS and macOS, and I guess tvOS, all of their OSs, there are 1.3 billion Apple-powered devices in use today. And that is absolutely astonishing, if you ask me. Like... There's only, what, eight, 7 or 8 billion of us on this planet, and there's 1.3 billion Apple devices? Wow. Yeah, but this panel probably accounts for a couple hundred of us. Well, I account for many, <laughs> yes. I, I grant you I account for many of them. That's, yeah. Yeah. But it's, uh, I say, I think that's interesting, because it also, it makes, it makes sure it's a healthy ecosystem, right? Yeah, we may, you know, yes, there may be more Android devices than iPhones, but Apple's platform as a whole, when you take into account all of the devices they make, is a very, very large ecosystem. And as we saw from the money from the App Store, there is money to be made here, which is a good thing for all of us Apple users. And, and did you say that's actively in use? Yes, that's active installed. So this, so, so this is people hitting iCloud or hitting the App Store or hit. I mean, it must be hitting an Apple service in order for it to be counted. Bingo. Yes. Which it is, is important. Amazing. It is important to underline, not to not to take that down at all, but it is important to underline that there's a lot of Apple people who have, I mean, we have an Apple TV, two Apple Watches that are active. Actually, I have three. Mm. Um, what else do we have? You know, uh, I have two Macs. My husband has two Macs, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So you have to remember that it, the number of people is smaller. That has pros and cons because it takes down the number of people. Because if I buy an app, it's likely an iOS app because I also have an iPad. It's going to go across several devices. Sure. Um, but also it means there's more room to grow in terms of expanding the user base. Yeah. I mean, I just did a quick count here. I got to eight active devices in this house. Yeah. Okay. Um, where have my show notes gone? Anyone have any other thoughts on the earnings call or will I move us along? 
I will take that as a move along. Um, I, I've put off bringing back up the ongoing war on privacy because we could, in theory, talk about it every month, and I don't want this show to just become me whining about privacy. Uh, but it's been a few months since I made it a topic on the show, and there was just so much happened this month that I, I, I do think we should revisit the topic. So I'll give a quick summary of all of the privacy-related news that broke in January, and then, then we can have a bit of a discussion around it. So the U.S. government's relationship with encryption and with Apple remains fraught, I think is probably the nicest thing I can say. We have a new director of the FBI um, who has renewed calls for a magical encryption bypass that will only allow the good guys in, and he doesn't understand why that's impossible. So maybe he's good at law enforcement, but logic and technology, not his strong point. Um, He considers unbreakable encryption a public safety issue. I agree with him, but in the exact opposite way. I think uh, it is... For our public safety, we need there to be unbreakable encryption, not the other way around. Um, We've also had an FBI security expert call Apple jerks and evil geniuses. Although, thankfully, it doesn't all go one way. The FBI's uh, bureau chief in San Francisco says he loves Apple because they train our cops. Meanwhile, the U.S. House of Representatives voted for six more years of warrantless surveillance. So, uh, you know, yay for U.S. citizens there. And meanwhile, in China, Apple is being forced to comply with a Chinese law which says that if you process data on Chinese citizens, you've got to do so in China, and the company doing so must be Chinese. So Apple have handed over control of the Chinese iCloud to a Chinese company which is state-owned. Uh, thankfully, it's only Chinese people's data is going into this Franken-iCloud, but I really hope too many governments around the world don't take ideas from this, because this is not a positive development at all. Sort of the reverse of internationalization, consolidated back into one country. Meanwhile, while all this is going on around their ears, um, Apple continues to work to protect our security and privacy. Um, They have updated their iOS security guide, which is a fantastically human-readable and helpful document. Um, They are adding something called a privacy icon to, to combat iCloud phishing. And the ad industry got really cranky this month, basically saying that they've lost hundreds of millions of dollars in lost revenue because Safari is protecting our privacy. Um, so that's kind of... I mean, they're all related stories. So it, it, it is a mixed bag, I guess. Apple are continuing to fight the good fight, but governments are definitely having a negative impact, in my humble opinion. Um, anyone else want to chime in? Perhaps with a different opinion to mine? Just reinforcing so your opinion, Bart. It, it, it just—it's—it's it's a black and white issue, and the—the the, the key is education here for the public, and and also for law enforcement and some of our elected representatives. They just—they. It, it sounds like a great thing, but I think you started out by saying, you know, a magical way to do it. Well, that's what it would have to be. It would, yeah. Basically, they want a unicorn, and they no matter how much you tell them that there are no unicorns, they. Dag will want their unicorn. Yeah. I think this is a difficult one because um, uh, I absolutely agree with everything you said there about privacy, but it is such an easy uh, story to spin with scaremongering. So it's very easy to make uh, people believe that A, this would be possible, and B, um, you know, that Apple aren't acting in the public's interest. Um, now, obviously, all Apple can really do is uh, 
you know, come out with their side of the story and say, trust us, we really are acting in the public interest. But, you know, when when the when the San Bernardino shooting happened, um, you know, I certainly came across, say, certain aspects of people on Twitter and so on who really felt that um, Apple were just harboring terrorists, right, for want of mm. a better way to put it, right? So, I mean, but but... But they literally had that kind of level of hate and vitriol, and were saying, you know, you you know, you really don't care about these terrorists. You're 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 aiding and abetting them for all intents and purposes. Now, uh, um, as somebody who cares about privacy, I understand that that's not the case. But I think it's very easy to persuade uh, the public that, um, you know. The public, you know, the, the whole innocent have nothing to fear kind of argument. Um, so I do think all we can really hope to do is Apple to continue to fight the good fight here. Um, I don't I, I don't think they'll ever give on this, you know. And, not and while Tim Cook extent, is in there anyway. No, absolutely not. And, and, and incidentally, I think to some extent um, they can stand over their encryption and say, look, we're we're okay handing an entire data center over to Chinese because they're not going to break that either, <laughs> you know? So um, I, I hope they continue doing it. I, I think everybody, uh, I'd say there's a good majority of the listenership, you know, are, are, are totally behind Apple's stance here. I just actually yeah. want to underline, so privacy is one thing and it's very important, but there is actually what tends to get lost is it's also a matter of security because while terrorism is very, very spectacular and it, it plays in our raw emotions very strongly. So we are very afraid of terrorism. But in terms of day-to-day risk, the risk that what is most likely to actually hurt you is cybercrime. It's not dramatic terrorist attacks. It's plain old mundane, I will steal your identity and your money, cybercrime. And so what we need protecting from is from cybercrime, which means we need good encryption. Secondary to that, in my opinion, is privacy, which is also important. That's a civil liberties issue. And only tertiary to that, you then have the much, much, much less mathematically likely to cause you any harm terrorism. But terrorism is so emotionally powerful. You know, I keep thinking of Ned Flanders. Will somebody think of the children? I mean, you just have to say the word terrorism and you can basically, it's it's the perfect tool for for a police state. It just keeps saying, oh, but the terrorists. The real threat is cybercrime. Boring, plain, unsexy, hard to get people excited about cybercrime. And the only protection from cybercrime is proper security. And if you have the government going around forcing back doors into things, you cannot, cannot be protected from cybercrime. Well, the thing I is, Bart, that if, if, if this is mandated by whatever governments, mm. that doesn't prevent anybody else anywhere in the world from continuing to to create their own unbreakable encryption and using that yes. and making it available to the bad guys. And right. so, okay, so if I'm working for company A, at least in the U.S., and I'm mandated to use uh, breakable encryption, then I'm at a distinct disadvantage to the people who are not playing by the rules who will have that unbreakable en- encryption available to them. Yes, because the and, mathematics is out there and you cannot unknow the mathematics it's like we cannot unlearn nuclear physics the reality is we as a species know how to do unbreakable encryption the genie cannot go back in the bottle any more than we can forget how to make a hydrogen bomb agreed um two two comments about the u.s um one is is that the fbi right now is preoccupied with other matters (laughs) get into that uh but also the 
the entire tech lobbying um, conglomerate, for lack of a better word, mm. you got to include Microsoft and Google and as well as Apple and others. All of them are in agreement about this. And as a lobbying group, and they do have a lobbying group, they will push on this very hard to say no messing with the encryption for law enforcement. And that has worked. <clears throat> pardon me. It has worked because, um, and I'm going to take Senator Lindsey Graham, who is a, a Republican uh, conservative senator, was very clear some time ago back in the Obama administration that he understood why you don't want to allow that back door. And so, you know, hopefully other lawmakers as well will have that understanding. But he's a good example. So. Yes, Actually, he's a great example of what I, I wish I could see more of in, in politics, which is a, a, a politician being swayed by facts and reality. Yes, yes, yeah, he's great for I, that. I was dealing with somebody during the week whose uh, business is, is in uh, privacy, and mm. um, he, he, he came out with a great line, is that every time somebody – uh, you know, spins the yarn about the innocent have nothing to fear, and, and, and says that we should allow law enforcement to break um, to break encryption. He asked them, "Can you have a quick look at their browser history?" Um, that's a good line, and my, my line is always: if, "If the innocent have nothing to hide, why don't we all shit in glass houses?" <laughs> okay. <laughs> Yeah, I'm sorry. Privacy does not mean you're guilty. Privacy just means that there are things which you do in private. Yeah, yeah. Okay, uh, I'm going to move us into our fifth and final story, which is it's actually two stories of of mush, well, not mush together. Two very much related stories. Apple have done something unusual, and they've done it twice. They have told us what they are going to do in future software releases, and that that's not how things have generally gone in the past. So the first article Apple released was a note basically saying, and the title was, Prepare for Changes to macOS Server. And what they basically announced was the death of macOS Server as we know it. Uh, in Apple's words, macOS Server is changing to focus more on management of computers, devices, and storage on your network. Basically, it's becoming nothing more than mobile device management, it's just an MDM product now, and all the other features are basically going away. Now, if if I was one of the five people on planet Earth who used macOS Server, I would be horrified because this is absolutely completely killing the product. However, I think there's almost no one uses the product, so it's probably ripe for killing. Um, so I'm not particularly going to lose sleep over it. Is, is anyone on the panel particularly upset? <laughs> Not at all. Not at all. No, looking at that list, most of them are still available on open source anyway. If you if you really care, you could spin them up yourselves. Exactly. So I run servers to do all of these things Apple are killing. Uh, it's a, a free and open source product uh, called PFSense, and you basically take any old crappy PC. In my case, it's an old Dell from a skip, and you 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 know you, you shove a thumb drive into it, you stick the latest version of PFSense in it, and hey presto, you have all of these services through a nice web GUI. I mean, it is spectacularly straightforward. Have an old router, stick, tomato, or, or a WWRT or one of these things on it. You know, it's so easy to do. So I don't think Apple are adding any real value to, to this market, really. So I, yeah, I don't think there's much of a loss. What? Again, looking at the list, you know, you'd spin up an Amazon instance to do most of them in, you know, in five minutes. That's true, actually. You know? Yeah, you can just go to the cloud. Forget about yeah. going to the skip. Just go to the cloud. Yeah. Pay $5 a month, you know. It's just... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> 
So what's more interesting to me is the second preview Apple have given us, which is a preview of what's coming in iOS 10.3. So AORKit is getting a major upgrade because it's basically going from 1.0 to 1.5, so not quite to 2.0, which I guess will probably come in the summer or something. And new emoji, yeah, whatever. Business chat, however, is a much more interesting idea where you can have effectively one iCloud account mapping to many, many employees who can then have conversations on behalf of a corporation with customers. That's that's certainly interesting. The battery and performance um, section of the settings app is coming. Uh, Health records. So the health app is being expanded, not just to include measurements, but also records from, you know, results of scans and so on and so forth. So you're really starting to have iCloud and your iPhone acting as a hub for your health data. And with Apple's focus on privacy, they are one of the few companies I would trust to mine this data for me because I'm not the product, I'm the customer. Mm -hmm. Um, So I, for one, am very happy that Apple are are doing this kind of thing. And then there's also some other changes happening, uh, you know, HomeKit, stuff like that. So it's just interesting to me that Apple have chosen to let us know this is coming. That That's not something we're used to. Yeah, I saw the business chat. Um, they actually spoke about it at WWDC last year. Yes. Uh, and it was tucked away into a Friday afternoon session called What's New in Business Chat. And I was like, what's that all about? And I was super impressed with the demo, and I was amazed that the world weren't talking about it straight afterwards. Uh, of course, uh, you know, the, the, the later, it, you know, after the press event in WDC, it's effectively all under NDA anyway, but um, it just looked to me like something that's going to be really useful. And they've all, they, they launched it with backending onto Livefire, onto Salesforce, and one other big provider, it might have been Zendesk or one of those. Wow. Um, I, I think it's uh, it's going to be uh, pretty interesting. Having said that, they've only launched with a couple of partners, so they're, they're only blessing a few people who could, uh, who could do it, you know? You can use it. They probably want to bed it in slowly because if you get this wrong and you have major Fortune 500 companies, you know, having a terrible experience communicating with customers, that would be pretty catastrophic. Sure, yeah, and I guess I mean the the, the you know the first few the the first few failures are going to be blamed on Apple, even if it's poor customer support on the far end. So <laughs> yes, yeah, there's, there's probably some legal agreements in place to do a good job with the first couple of uh, partners before they put it out to a wider audience but it's an it's it's very impressive because you can send structured data over the wire so the demo that i saw had a whole person buying some um accessories for apple but things like images being brought back and pick lists that the user being able to choose and then literally were able to check out through apple pay it was fantastic so basically, the, so yeah, because I'm used to thinking of messages as just messages, but of course, with their app API, you can do so much more. So if you take there's, that more, there's structured data that they've that they have um, they have defined. So there's things like choices, images, wow. but also uh, being able to check out. It's, so you tie that into Salesforce, you tie that into Zendesk. I, okay, I can see the power of this. Yeah, no, it's if if you have a developer account, go look at uh, what's new in Business Chat from WWDC 2017. Cool. I think I have one of those. I must blow the dust off it. <laughs> Excellent. Okay. Um, anyone else want to chime in on these previews, either on the previews themselves or the fact that they exist? I, either is a valid topic. The fact that they exist, I would just comment that uh, this may be a way of combating some of the leaks that happen anyway. 
you know, if Apple announces it, at least they have a chance to do the framing to, you know, to say what it is from an Apple perspective. Yeah, yeah, you know, if you want to control the story, be the first to say it. So there's definitely value in that. Exactly. Okay, uh, I'm going to wrap up the show then with a few quick stories that I think we need to mention. We need to put a pin in, but we don't, you know, they're not they're not quite worthy of digging into in depth. Um, so reports continue to stream out. Now, all of this stuff is, of course, unofficial, right? Apple don't announce these things. These are, you know, reports from within the industry. But just in January, we've had Apple Orders C, epic drama series from Stephen Knight and Francis Lawrence. We have Kristen Wee, Kristen Wieg Will, I think. Some, I'm terrible with celebrities. I have no idea who these people are. Some sort of comedy series with Reese Witherspoon to executive produce. Apple just committed to a straight-to-series order by Damien Chazelle. So their video people could seem to be continuing to be busy even over the Christmas period. Um, in response to an open letter uh, from investors ahead of Apple's annual shareholder meeting, Apple have announced they're going to improve parental controls. And I will just say they're already pretty darn good, but hey, better is better. Uh, Apple's Everyone Can Code initiative continues to expand. It is moving out to a whole bunch of European countries, including Ireland. Uh, and also related, Apple have released Swift Playgrounds 2, which is nice to see that product continue to get development. Uh, WhatsApp has become the first third-party app, sorry, the first app to use the third-party messaging API in CarPlay. So people who have a car with CarPlay and who use WhatsApp can now use Siri in their car to WhatsApp. Uh, YouTube TV comes to Apple TV. Um, People in a few countries have gotten the new Siri podcast news feature where basically you can ask Siri to give you the news and he or she, depending on where you are, will reach out to a local provider in the country you're in and give you a summary of the news. I think it's uh, BBC is used in the UK and CNN, I think, is used in the States. Um, And Apple have become a laureate partner for the Malala Fund, uh, which is basically the idea is to help increase support for girls' education around the world. And finally, uh, for the 11th time in a row, Apple is Fortune's most admired company. Uh, anything in there that anyone on the panel feels is particularly worth talking about or highlighting in some way? Just to say kudos to Apple with respect to uh, the Malala Fund. That's really awesome. That's quite a story. If people don't know it, they might want to look into it. It's, yeah, I mean, that yeah. she is one of the bravest people on planet Earth. She stood up to the Taliban in order to get girls' education, was literally shot in the face, and... Rather than letting that stop her, it made her more determined and more effective at continuing her fight. I have so much respect, uh, so much respect. So it's great that Apple are on board. Absolutely. Okay, uh, folks, thank you ever so much for giving so freely of your time. Um, before we wrap up, just to say that all of the stories which informed our discussion are link or will be linked over at the show's website at lets-talk.ie. Right now, this second, there's a section there called Support the Show where you can right now click on the Patreon button. Um, Patreon is the single most effective way of supporting the show because it allows people to pledge a small dollar amount in such a way that it's efficiently transferred to me so that I can use it to pay my bills. However, it's not the only way to support the show. You can also give a PayPal donation and coming sometime within the next few weeks will be a tip jar from Pinecast as well. 
Then there are affiliate links. So if you need a domain name, then you can use my Hover affiliate code to support the show and get your domain name. If you need virtual hosting, uh, you can use um, DigitalOcean and my affiliate code. And the DigitalOcean code is kind of cool because I get something, but so do you. So we, we get to share if you use that affiliate link. Neither of those affiliate links are any value whatsoever if you don't actually plan to buy a domain or some hosting. So, you know, clicking on them doesn't achieve anything unless you actually buy something. So they're only there for for fellow nerds and geeks. Uh, but anyone can support the show simply by telling your friends about it, tweeting about it, or reviewing us in iTunes or your podcatcher of choice. Literally, all of that is extremely helpful. And just to, as I do every month, an extra special thank you to the Patreon supporters, because literally without the Patreon supporters, this show could not exist. So, the, you know, you guys are literally patrons of the show. Uh, also, patrons of the show are the panelists who, month after month, volunteer their time and to come on here and share their wisdom. So, uh, I don't. Oh, I think I went in geographic order. So that's trying to go in reverse. Uh, Linda, thank you very much for joining us. And uh, do you want to let the good listeners know about your lovely mug in Silicon Valley? Ah, uh, yes, Silicon Valley mug Mac, Mac user group, uh, which is at siliconsvmug.org. Um, no silicon, just svmug.org. And, um, yeah, it's a great organization. You can also sign up for the mail list if you go to the website, if you're just interested in that, if you're very, very remote and there's no way you would ever get here. Um, people can sign up to the mail list if they are so inclined. Excellent. And they can also reach you on Twitter at, um, what's your Twitter handle again? I think it's LLG for CDG. That sounds right. right. That would... sounds familiar. It will be linked in the show notes at letstalk.ie. I rarely go to it from that form. Go right ahead. (laughs) (laughs) Chuck, thank you very much for joining us. And do you want to let the good listeners know where they can hear and see more of your great work? Absolutely. It's always a pleasure, Bart. Thanks for having me. Um, You can stop over at macvoices.com. That's where you will find all kind of interesting things, uh, including 57 video interviews from CES in January. 57? Jesus, Chuck. 57. So that'll take you a little while to get through, but um, a lot of interesting stuff in there. And you can also communicate with me on Twitter as at Chuck Joyner. Excellent. Uh, Dermot, do you want to uh, give a little plug for yourself and or your company? Sure, yeah. Well, the company is Tapadoo, which is tapadoo.com, T-A-P-A-D-O-O.com. Um, my Twitter handle is probably the best way to get in touch with me direct. That's Derm Daily, D-E-R-M-D-A-L-Y. Excellent. Thank you very much. I have been your host, Bart Bouchot. You can find me at bartb.ie. And until next time, happy computing. You're listening to another great podcast in the MyMac Podcasting Network. for a podcast to get your geek on then listen to my favorite ladies podcast the three geeky ladies join Alyssa, suze and vicky as they discuss tech products and other topics that caught their attention the three geeky ladies podcast on the my mac podcasting network